fear is a disease. And so you have to find the thing that you were most afraid of and you have to do it in a small dose. Take a small dose of whatever it is. You're afraid of speaking in public? Great, forget a 60 minute keynote speech. How about a 60 second keynote speech <laughs> where instead of being on a stage in front of thousands of people, you're in a room full of four and you are for 60 seconds commanding that room with your ability to public speak. And that 60 seconds becomes five minutes, goes from five people to 12 people to 100 people and whatever else over time. But you are just slowly immersing yourself with that worry in a way that takes, like, allows you to see that you can not only handle it, but you can thrive inside of it. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. And today's guest is Dave Hollis. Dave is making his second appearance on the show. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Dave, he is a New York Times bestselling author of Get Out of Your Own Way. He's the host of the Rise Together podcast. He's a health and fitness enthusiast. He's an online coach and works to inspire others to take control of their lives and create a future of fulfillment and purpose. Dave's history includes CEO of a media startup, former president of sales and distribution for the film studio at the Walt Disney Company, He's been a talent manager across film, TV, and music, and has worked in the publicity, research, and technology fields across the entertainment sector. And in today's episode, we are going to cover the exact steps he took to heal and rediscover his identity after his divorce from Rachel. We're going to also get into why you must become self-aware before you change and how to do so. We're going to talk about how Dave turned his anger towards God into hope. We're going to get into practical tools to help overcome fear and make changes, Dave and I are going to chat about how he escaped the victim mindset in order to help him stop drinking again. We're going to talk about how he created something magical out of the worst year of his life. We're also going to get into the moment that he realized that he was so disconnected and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Dave Hollis to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Dave Hollis, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, Doug, it's so good to see you again. Thanks for having me back. I know it's it's great to see you. We were just kind of catching up for a few minutes before we recorded, and I feel like I kind of know you a little bit just through a couple of our conversations and just following your journey. And it's really inspiring to see how much you've transformed yourself. And I know when we when you first came on, you, you talked a lot about your transformation, like leaving Disney and starting the Hollis Company and and everything there. But and I know more recently, obviously, your massive transformation has come like post Hollis Company going through the divorce and now doing things on your own. And I guess by where I want to start is that you had this inclination when you were at the Hollis company that you were kind of helping to steer Rachel's ship, if you will, not the Dave Hollis ship. Now, was this something that you felt like in that moment, or was this something that you realized like after you got through the divorce? I don't know that I was really as connected to the recognition of it not being wholly and totally aligned with my own calling until I was inside of it. Right. So it wasn't even so much that it happened after the divorce as it was a thing that really revealed itself in the midst of the journey. 
I, I left Disney knowing that there was more, knowing that there was purpose that wasn't fully being tapped into while I was there, as much as it was an amazing job with amazing people. There was something that I was left still longing, and the longing felt like it might be found in impact. And the decision to leave and pursue building something together that was largely a byproduct of her vision was the hope that I might be able to tap into something in the form of impact. And man, it was there because there was in the conferences or books or products or courses, so many people that were affected in a positive way for the way that we were putting tools in their hands. But as I was in the midst of it, as much as there was, again, like just so much joy that came from and satisfaction that came from witnessing transformation happening for other people at the um, expense of or because of the way that we were creating what we were, there still was something that felt like a calling that was whispering inside of myself that I think I was resistant to at first because I didn't know if I was qualified necessarily to heed the call, but that also because of being interested primarily and in helping promote and support this person that I was you know, a massive fan of and felt like I'd committed to in this journey, I wasn't sure that it was okay for me to listen to those voices of, hey, might you also have something to say? Are there maybe some things that through your lens and your experience with your wiring that could actually also as a set of tools be helpful to other people? And it really maybe was a, a year, even maybe a little more than a year into the journey where I was finally like, man, I can't stop. I can't, I can't ignore this, this call that is coming from inside of me, whether it's intuition or knowing voice of God, it just, the voice started to get louder and louder. And that decision to move from inside the business and supportive of her business to becoming a voice of, and someone who might also stand on their own platform and create tools and resources that were a byproduct of their own voice was something that happened late in the game. And that now, of course, is a part of what I'm doing every day is all that I am up to. Um, but man, it just, it just took time. It took time to know the difference between a vision that was different than what I'd been on and a vision of my own. Right. And what I can see from the outside is that you had this massive personal growth journey of your, of your own. And I think when people go through that, especially since you were, you're kind of a skeptic of personal development. I know you've talked about that before you dove headfirst into it. Like you really start to open your eyes of what you're capable of. And you're like, wow, I, I can do this coaching thing on my own, or I have my own vision. I have my own dreams. And one of the things that you talked about in your book is this notion of identity and how at the Walt Disney Company, you know, essentially your identity was wrapped up in the company of that. And then your identity was you were Rachel's hu husband with the Hollis Company. So what work have you done over the last year to really help yourself discover like who Dave Hollis is and that and where's the ship going for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the big the big questions that I've had that kind of answer over the course of the last couple of years is who I am separate from dot, 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 right? Like, who am I separate from the way that I worked at the Walt Disney Company? Who am I separate from the way that I might have identified myself as husband to Rachel? And those right. things are jarring because in so many ways, they were the pillars on top of which my identity was created. And in the latter instance, it was change that I chose. I decided to leave having been president of distribution to go pursue entrepreneurship in the 
in the former, it's I had changed choose me and that, oh, I didn't expect that I might ever be divorced. And yet here I am no longer a part of this relationship. And now that change having chosen me, that relationship that I had with myself, husband to her was gone. And I, you know, in each of those instances, struggled just a little bit with the imagination to cast a vision for who I was now that I was no longer who I'd been. Mm. And at the same time, in releasing myself from those definitions, the discomfort and jarring nature of the freedom that came and not being any longer connected to those structures as a vehicle for describing myself gave me the freedom to ultimately define who I am separate from. And so it was uncomfortable and hard and many times had a lot of tears on my knees trying to figure out who am I if I'm not who I was. A lot of the work that I did came through therapy. Right? I did a work with this therapist on this idea of self and understanding the ability for me to connect to who I am, irrespective of either where I've been or what I've known myself as, but also separate from the way that I think or feel so that I can become an observer of the way that I end up experiencing life as opposed to believing that I am the experience of my life. And that as a single idea is big and maybe sounds crazy, but man was transformative in the way that I can as self distinguish myself from the way that any outside force or any outside feeling might introduce itself in how I now react or interact with that feeling or experience. But I'm doing the work in real time to really define like, what are my capital T truths? What are the things that irrespective of the conditions through which I'm working through, irrespective of where I work or what relationship I find myself in, what are those things that are going to stand true through the test of time so that I can, in knowing what those things are, be comfortable and confident in them as a foundation for whatever ends up happening to me next. And so my faith, my family, the way that I know myself when I'm by myself, like those are the things that at the end of the day, they'll be here over time, no matter what. There were in that, in the context of the whole like idea of unanswered prayers, like there, there was this point at the end of 2019 where I made this proclamation that 2020 was going to be my best year ever. And I, I mean, if I in any way brought on the pandemic, I apologize to all y'all <laughs> listeners, but I, I said it and I didn't know at the time of suggesting it that I would not have a say in the conditions through which my best year would be delivered to me. And so I can with 100% certainty suggest that man, 2020 was the hardest year I've ever experienced in my entire life, but that also it was my best. And that it becoming my best didn't happen in spite of the hard things that happened. It happened because of the hard things that happened. That so much of what produced my best year ever was the byproduct of prayers I was praying not being answered. Not that they were answered, but not being answered. As much as, yes, I was praying to have my best year ever. I was also praying to not have my marriage end, to not feel the pain that I was going through, to not have to sit in the discomfort of grief or work through the identity crisis that in real time was unfolding. And yet I needed the identity crisis. I needed the grief. I needed the relationship ending to produce for me the, this best version of myself that sat on the other side of having to go through it. 
And so I now have an appreciation in a completely different kind of way that as much as I think I had some degree of control, I have no control, or that I had some sense of what was best for me was not necessarily what would produce my best. Right, right. Gosh, there's a, there's a lot there to kind of unpack, but I think one of the things that I, I've noticed from the outside that's that's played into your identity that's helped you is is fitness, and it's always been this this thing that's been a staple of yours since I know you gave up drinking for a year, and then you get, got into running, and then now you're super into weightlifting, which I think is awesome because I think that weightlifting is a catalyst for feeling strong in other areas of your life, but. There was something that you said in your book that I think is so important for people to hear. And it was that, you know, you had gone on this journey to not drink for like a year and then the divorce happened. And then you go back to drinking for a few days and going back to your old self. And I think it was like day three, day, day three, I think, where you just had enough. And there's so many people that the day three becomes day four and it becomes month four and year four. And they just go down that path of debauchery. So like, what, what were you telling yourself like on that day that really got you to pivot out of that, that pessimistic negative mindset and put the alcohol down and get back to running? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. If you ask those that know me best, what has been an ongoing struggle of mine, it's definitely been my sleep. I am sure many of you can relate to this. One small change I recently made is that I started taking Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers, which is the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium. I've taken lots of magnesium supplements throughout the last decade, and this one is rare in that it actually makes me feel relaxed when I take it. And I'm not the only one who is in love with Magnesium Breakthrough. Marie left a five-star review saying, I give this 100 stars if I could. Within one month of use, I went from daily struggles with restless legs, constipation, and poor sleep to no struggles with any of that. I know it sounds dramatic and far-fetched, but it's true. Amanda says, I fall asleep much faster and stay asleep now until normal waking hours. You have a customer for life. Listen, if you're having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, one of the best things you can possibly do is start getting enough magnesium. But please do not run to the store to buy the first magnesium supplement that you find. Most magnesium supplements use only the two cheapest synthetic forms. And since they're not full spectrum, they won't fix your magnesium deficiency or help you sleep better. There are actually seven unique forms of magnesium, and you must get all of them if you want to experience its calming, sleep-enhancing effects. That's why I recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed, 
and you'll be amazed by how much better you sleep and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash Doug and use the code Doug10 to save 10% when you try Magnesium Breakthrough. Oh, and one more thing. For a limited time, Buy Optimizers is also giving away free bottles of their best-selling products, P30M and Mazimes, with select purchases only while supplies last. So hurry and order now if you want the free gifts. So go to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash Doug now to get your exclusive 10% discount, plus the chance to get more than $50 worth of supplements for free. Now back to the show. Well, I mean, it was like a sad, number one, let's, uh, let's acknowledge it was sad, but also honest look at mirror where the choices that I had historically made that led me to stuck were now choices that I was making in the midst of discomfort. And I had to decide if the things that hadn't served me before were the things that wouldn't serve me going forward. Mm. And in that moment, it was like, all right, you know how this story ends. You've already written a chapter of this in your life. And this idea that drinking away your pain can be a local anesthetic was something that didn't work, right? You can't mute the pain without also muting the joy or the growth or the opportunity to learn in a way that helps you become who you'd hope to become. You will not be proud of yourself when you're by yourself if this ends up being the decision that you're making. And around that time, and I put it in the book, like I happened to like put my shoes back on, I'm out on the road. And of course, like providentially this sermon from a, a person that I have had been listening to for some length of time comes on and, and he's talking about the idea of a secondary storm that like, it's not so much that it's the thing that you are going through that ends up taking you out, but it's the decisions that you make in response to the thing that's unexpectedly come into your life that end up taking you out because we are our worst enemy when we actually allow our worst impulses or bad coping mechanisms to respond in an unhealthy way to the things that we don't expect to happen. And that as a, as a message was just so resonant for me because I'm like, oh, I am the one who is actively bringing water onto the boat, <laughs> right? Like my right. book is filled with nautical references. Like a ship doesn't sink because of the waters around it. The ship sinks because of the water that gets into it. And that water ends up being either the people that are around us, the way that we consume negativity, the, you know, like the, there, there are things that we invite in or don't have boundaries for that invite the toxic water of our lives into our, our ship. But really, the biggest thing that could sink our ship is the way that we ourselves allow water to come on board. And this for me was that thing like, oh, man, are you going to really go down this path again? Are you really going to do this thing that is going to unnecessarily heighten the possibility of your ship sinking? No, this is ridiculous. Get your shoes on, get up, out, get out and run. And I mean, it's it's a great thing to find a coping mechanism that you can trade off for. But it also doesn't mean that, you know, in having found something that's more healthy, that all of a sudden you don't have as much stress or as many things to work through. I ended up running, you know, more than 2000 miles last year. I had a couple of 200 mile months in a row because every time I felt triggered, every time I felt sad, every time I was processing that grief, whether it was 10 miles in the morning and 10 miles in the afternoon, I found myself running on an every single day basis because that was this combination of therapy and church that was necessary 
to not reach for and have the negative coping me- mechanism creep back into my life. Yeah. No, and, and I love the the analogy with the, the ship that was the ship that sinks, like ship doesn't sink because of the water around it, ships because of the water that gets into it. And you're, you're right. I think, you know, it's all about the people you surround yourself with. And so many people, they stay in in bad relationships because they don't know who they are and they don't they're not confident with with the person that they are on the inside. So they're looking for somebody to fill that void for them or they're not taking care of themselves, not taking care of their health. They just have no purpose. And, and really, it just comes down to to self-awareness. And and I think if you can have self-awareness around your life and the areas in which you're you're either lacking or the ones that you're thriving, I think you really have the ability to, to better yourself. And I, and I like how in the book, you kind of separated it. If you open the when you open the book or when you read the book, it looks like a, a map, you know, like you're almost reading like Pirates of the Caribbean or something. And it, it, you really you have to start before like accomplishing like these ideas and these business dreams. You have to start with identifying who you are. So why why was that so important to put that before like the the tactics, the tools? Like why was the self discovery piece so? Is, why is that so important for people to do first? Well, I mean, hyper self awareness is mandate. It's a mandatory because you can't get to where you want to go if you don't know where you're starting from, right? Like if, if you don't know where you're starting from on a map, what good's a map? (laughs) Like there's, there's nothing that tells you how to get from where you are to where you want to go if you don't know where you're starting from. And so, so much of it starts with this permission to really be honest with yourself, to own the things certainly that are working, like celebrate the things that you're already doing well at. More importantly, like, hey, if there are habits or routines that are in place, if there's a circle that needs to be adjusted, if there are influences that aren't really like setting you up for the kind of success that you'd hope for, let's address those things right up front in a way that doesn't create shame, affords you some degree of grace, but that also in being honest about it, lets you see where you are so that you really can uh, create a plan for where you want to go. A lot of the back part of the book is the the space that ends up existing between where you are and the vision that you cast for where you want to go so that you can actually identify the practical, tactical things that it's going to take to get you from here to there. But, but it starts with identifying where is here? Like, let, let's be really clear about where here is and what it's going to take to be in that honesty as clear as we can be about what it's going to take to get us to this version of who, not only that you'd like to be, but who you were called to be. Right, right. Absolutely. And, and I think you said it so beautifully that in order to know like where you're going, you have to know where you're at. And there's a lot of people that, that just they're walking in the dark throughout their lives because they have no idea where they are. They have no idea like what their blood pressure is. They have no idea what their relationships actually are, if they're actually happy. They have no idea what their bank account looks like. And can go on and on with examples. And I think it's scary. It's It's very fearful sometimes to have a gut check and look yourself in the mirror and saying like, like maybe I need to lose some weight or maybe I need to work on this relationship or maybe I need to leave this relationship or maybe I need to stop spending so much money because that requires us to humble ourselves and, and face our fears of like what could go wrong if we actually try to become that next version of ourselves. So like along those same lines, like throughout this process that you've been on to essentially like like build the, the to become as strong as you've become today through courage. What are what what have you learned about yourself over this over this last year? Like, was there some things that you that you needed to work on? Was there something like a pattern that you had? Was there anything like that that came up? 
Well, I think at, like at its core, the, the biggest and most important thing for sure has been this appreciation for tending to my health. Mm. And I don't mean physical health as of course, that's a part of it, but my, my mental, emotional, relational, spiritual, and physical health, all of them being equal parts important was the prerequisite for being able to create that foundation from which I could actually move forward. I'd love to say like, oh, I went through something that was really, really hard, hardest thing I've ever been through. And now the quote is full. So I don't have to worry about going through hard things again. But I just know, no, I've gone through this really hard thing. And now in part because of having gone through it, I'm prepared to handle the next hard thing that ends up showing up. I'm not going to love it when it does. But I have so much evidence in having been through what I've been through of my ability to get through whatever shows up next. But also the only way that I'm going to get through whatever ends up coming, whether it's hard times or good times, if I'm going to maximize the good or persevere through the hard, it's going to be because I'm doing the work to tend to my mental health, my physical, my emotional, relational, spiritual health. And so I really have like tried to dive into and spend time asking this very, very simple question of what do I need in this season? And for me, as a person who like previously was wildly more long-term in his vision casting, when something unexpected happens to you, your ability to cast a long-term vision is likely compromised. And at least it was for me. And so I went from being able to see like four years, five years into the future to how in the world can I possibly get to six months from now? <laughs> and the answer for me ended up being, all right, what do I need in this season to get from where I am today, like, right, super honest about where I find myself in real time to where I'd like to be in just six months in each of these five dimensions by identifying two to three things per dimension that would be game changers if I were to show up for myself in that way every single day. So I just made a list. All right. What are the couple of things I need for my mental health? What are the few things that I need for my spiritual health? What do I need for my physical, my relational, my mental health. And in each of those, in having identified the two or three things that I need, those became my daily routine. Those became the way that I would have to have habits that supported my needs. And they're not things that are locked for the rest of time. Those are things that are super fluid that after 30 days or 60 days or 90 days go by and the conditions I find myself inside of have changed, well, my set of needs have changed. And so now I can re-ask that question and reassess, well, what do I need in this season? Because I'm no longer in what I've just come from. I'm now in a completely different situation. And so the things I might need for my mental health or emotional health may have shifted because of the way that I've made progress from where I was. And so I would encourage anyone who feels stuck, if you can start with that foundational question around your health, all aspects of your health, of what you need to just create some progress and traction for the next 90 days, and then ask that question every 30 to 60 days as you make the progress and start to see change. You'll create some momentum and inertia that allows you to leverage it into the momentum that'll help you now start casting a longer term vision for where you want to go and what it's going to take to get there. I love I love what you said. And I like how you talked about like these different pillars of health, because I think what happens is, is a lot of times people will say, oh, I'm just going to work out. They don't take care of like the mental health or they don't work on their trauma or they don't get spiritual or they, they don't work on their relationships or they say, Oh, I'm just going to go to therapy and that'll fix everything. But they're eating like crap. They're not addressing their, their physical health. 
And it's like, you have to work on all these pillars, but you said just two to three things. It wasn't like you were saying, okay, I'm going to do 50 things for each of these pillars. Cause that's unreasonable, right? It's just doing the two to three things, you know, that'll work every single day. And along the, the same lines as that, I want to get into fitness more specifically, like, like resistance training, which I know, I know initially your big thing was running. And now you've really gotten into strength training and it looks like you've put on some, some size and you look good and everything. So what specifically about like resistance training has been good for you through this healing process and through really like becoming who you are today? Well, I mean, more than anything, I, I've been in this like strange, I would call it a season of yes, where I just keep agreeing to walk into situations or scenarios that are being presented for the possibility of learning something new about myself. And so in this, I happen to be in relationship with someone who is an expert in strength training and her observation of what she believed to be an opportunity for me when it comes to strength training was something that gave me what I would call borrowed belief in myself, right? So she had an observation and said, oh man, I think that you have what she described, musculature, a word I'd never heard in my life. You have this musculature that in fact, lends itself to someone who, if they were to really invest in weight training, would see incredible gains, would see like something that you just couldn't even imagine. And I was like, what are you talking about? And the only thing I can relate it to in my past life is when I was in second or third grade, I tested for some standardized test and had a letter come to the house from an organization called the Gifted and Talented Education Program. Gate. And in that letter, it said, Hey, Dave, uh, you tested in a way that has us wanting to put you into these accelerated learning classes. We think you're smart, is basically what it was saying. And though I think on some level, I believe myself to be smart, it wasn't until I got this affirmation from a third party that was accredited in determining who was smart and who wasn't that I, in reading their letter, believed it myself. And here, when it came to strength training, having someone in my life who was an expert in strength training tell me, you can have this kind of physique, you could build these kind of muscles. It was that same kind of thing that, oh, well, if you believe this as an expert, I can believe it as a person. And I wish that that's not the way it was. I wish that I could just have believed it by myself on my own. And yet there was something in her belief that let me believe it in my own way. and. This, as a string of different things that I've said yes to, is a way that I have continued to put myself into situations I haven't been in before, and in doing so is reframing what I believe about my own ability because of trying something new, doing it in a way that I hadn't previously, and in those results, having it make me believe now that I am capable of something bigger than I previously thought myself of because I've now put myself in a new arena and had results that I didn't previously see. And it's been an awesome thing. I mean, like I feel strong. That's the point of strength training. But I also, because of seeing some of the results that I've seen in the last handful of months, have opened my imagination up to the possibility of what else might be possible because of things that I didn't previ previously allow myself to even consider, which is, which is rad. Yeah, and... You said something that I think is really important for people to hear. And I think it's this, this idea that, you know, sometimes we, we have our face so far down in the mud that we can't see any light in front of us. We can't see anything. And 
things become hopeless and we we lose ourselves, which is, is very normal when you go through something traumatic. But I think when you have sometimes have that person who can just pull your head up out of the mud just a little bit, just for you to see a little glimpse of light and you, you're able to lean in, into that and you're like, oh, like I can do this or I, I, I do have some hope or I do have still have that faith in myself it allows you to keep going and it allows you to keep putting that one foot in front of the other. And I think too, like with, with strength training specifically there, you can see progress and you can set these small goals. And when you're, when one part of your life is in disarray and you, and you are able to channel a lot of that pain into something like physical training, you can start to see progress and you start to get better in that area of your life. And you're like, Oh, like my life is getting better. Like it's not that bad because now you're seeing that things can like go the other direction. And it's so important. I encourage everybody if they're going through a hard time to, to do hard things physically and challenge yourself to get better because in turn, um, that's how you're going to really develop the strength to not only get through the situation, but other situations that come your way. I want to shift into, you know, your tattoo because I know that's a big part of your book. I know it's essentially like how you start built through courage is this, and I'm going to butcher it, so forgive me, but I know that it says something along the lines of a ship that's in a harbor is safe, but that's not what it's intended to do or something like that. So could you explain to the audience like, like what that means and why that was so important to be put at the beginning of the book in the way it was? Yeah. So I have, I have this tattoo. It's on my right forearm. It says a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. Mm. It's a John Shedd quote. And I got it as a reminder for myself, to my kids, as a promise to the people I care about most in life, that I would stay connected to this reality, that the life that I desire, that the growth that I need to be connected to, that the way that I am going to get closer every day to purpose, the, the reason why I'm on this planet, is by moving away from what I'm most comfortable with to the choppy waters outside of that safe harbor where that growth, that purpose, that feeling of fulfillment ultimately lives. And that in making the moves to that choppy part of water that I am built for it, like a built to handle the choppiness of those seas. And I got the tattoo as much as I got it for a whole host of reasons, primarily for myself, because the decision that any of us make to step in our calling, as I might say, to honor the intention of our creator, I believe that Doug, you, myself, every listener who's listening was made with very specific and intentional design by a creator who knew exactly what they were doing when, in fact, they put us on this planet, that our wiring, the way we think and act, the love that we have, the way that we've had individual experiences, they are I, they're just unique to each of us. There's no one who's had the same life, the same wiring, and because of that limited edition, one of one version of who we end up being, that the mandate of our life is to honor the intention of our creator who created us with all of that uniqueness so that we might actually bring our gifts to bear. Well, if you're going to honor the intention of our creator, it requires that you leave the harbor to do so. And the tattoo for me is this reminder that I can, even on the days where it feels hard or my imposter syndrome or insecurities start chirping, that I, I was built for it that I was built to go into spaces that are uncomfortable, that I am because of this mandate that exists to honor the intention of my creator on this planet specifically to enjoy the challenging nature of those waters, but that I can enjoy the challenging nature 
of those waters because of the fact that I was in fact built to handle them. And so for anyone who ends up listening and is questioning their own, like, like their prerequisites, if they are qualified necessarily to step into something that feels bigger than what they believe themselves to be able to handle, you have to start with just this conceit, this belief that you were built for it, like the ship that was built for the sea. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think fear is temporary, right? But regret can be permanent. And there's a lot of times where people will get to the end of their life and they'll ask themselves this painful question of what if, like, oh, what yeah, if? you know, it's like one of the most painful questions you can ever ask yourself, but it's hard. I, but I think what the hardest part about fear, at least in my experience, is sometimes the, the, the fear of the outcome is greater than the fear itself. And we build this story and this narrative up in our head of what actually is going to happen as a result of us taking this chance. And it's so far away from from reality. Um, and so I know fear for you has been an emotion that has been something that you've kind of always struggled with. You talk about that at the beginning of the book. Like, so what have, what have been some of your best practices to help tackle your fears to help you, you know, achieve a lot of the things that you've achieved? Well, I would say there's two things. Number one, you really have to make a relationship with your fear. Mm-hmm. And I was someone who was filled with it, but didn't necessarily know it or know it well. And I have now um, intimately familiar with my fear in a way that has allowed me to both honor and respect that it exists, hello fear, but that also in bringing it to my consciousness has allowed me to parse between the fears that are real and the fears that are baloney, like the fears that are just ridiculous and don't actually hold water. The, the ones that end up being real, because I think there are some very real, real fears. I don't believe that all fear is like fear, you may have heard the acronym, you know, false evidence appearing real. I don't think all fear is that. I think that there are some very founded, very real, appropriate to pay attention to kind of fears. But I'm going to guess that maybe that's 25% of the fear that you're experiencing. The 75%, that might be stuff that's ridiculous, that is false evidence. Go ahead and let that go. But for the stuff that's real, it's just an invitation to create a plan so that you can move toward it and through it. It's not going to make, you know, all the planning in the world isn't going to make the fear go away. But part of what being built through courage insinuates is that you are going to manufacture, engineer the kind of planning, the kind of tools, equipping yourself with them that will allow you to face your fear in in a way that allows you to walk through it, toward it, and through it, because all of what you're hoping for lives on the other side of your fear, whether it's learning or growth or fulfillment or purpose, you have to walk through your fear. The second thing in, in fear for me that has been most effective is the idea of a toe dip, like inoculation, if you will. When you, when you get in, uh, you know, inoculated to something, you are taking a small dose of the poison or the disease or the, the, the thing that could make you sick and bringing it into your body so that your body can fight it in a way that uh, makes you getting the disease an impossibility. And that is the same kind of thing that you have to do with fear. Fear is a disease. And so you have to find the thing you are most afraid of, and you have to do it in a small dose. Take a small dose of whatever it is. You're afraid of speaking in public? Great. Forget a 60-minute keynote speech. How about a 60-second keynote speech (laughs) where instead of being on a stage in front of thousands of people, you're in a room full of four, and you are for 60 seconds commanding that room with your ability to public speak. And that 60 seconds becomes five minutes, 
goes from five people to 12 people to 100 people and whatever else over time. But you are just slowly immersing yourself with that worry in a way that takes like allows you to see that you can not only handle it, but you can thrive inside of it. And so every time now that I find myself afraid, this is going to sound crazy, I'm sure to many, but when I start to feel afraid, I now am wondering if this isn't an invitation to walk toward it. If this fear isn't begging me to uh, do a little bit of that toe dipping, because most of my fear I've come to appreciate is just that. It's an invitation to, in moving closer to it, reframe the way that I feel about that thing that would have previously kept me from living fully into who I am. And when I've done the work of addressing that fear by standing near it or inside of it, it's completely changed the way I think about myself and think about that fear as a limiting factor in how I might move forward going forward. I love this idea of the toe dipping because so many people want to just jump in the deep end. Right. And it's just, not, unfortunately, like that is like, can be a very valid fear if you're like, okay, like, how am I going to sit in the cold tub for like 10 minutes? It's like, well, you just got to start with 10 seconds, right? Instead of like trying to do what somebody's been doing for, try to do the time of somebody who's been doing that for like five years, just start with where you're at. And I, and I love that idea because what happens is when you dip your toes in, then you want to dip them in a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then sure enough, you look, you look back and now you're like, in, you're walking in the shallow end and then you're now you're walking in the deep end, you know, after six months time. And it all started with you just dipping the, your toes in and along the context of that, like, like for you, like what were some of the things that, that you did to help avoid the comparison trap? Because so many people fall into this comparison trap when they're starting something new, being that you had built something in the personal development space you know, with, with Rachel, and now you're starting something on your own, and you're still surrounded by a circle of people that are, are crushing it in the personal development space. So what were some of the things that you did to kind of help keep yourself centered, like at that new chapter of your life to, to not fall into that comparison trap? Well, I mean, I ended up staying really close to the community of people that were around me that were being affected by the work, which is, you know, like, it's, it's strange to think ego plays a really terrible role in creating unrealistic expectations of anything that we are doing. And the worry of criticism is a thing that also keeps us often from allowing our creation to even find the air it needs. Right. So I think I, in the beginning of creating in the shadow of what for me was living in the same house at the time with someone who'd had two back-to-back -back black swan events in publishing had me so nervous of what it might feel like to create something that didn't live up to or might be compared to the standard of what she was creating right and then i ended up getting the gift of a note from someone on the launch team when my first book had not even yet been released but she was living next door to a person who had asked when she when he saw that she had the book if he could read it and he sent this note that then she passed on to me that the way that the book had affected him was going to change the way he was going to show up well for his wife and two daughters and what I realized is like I had this ambition in writing that first book that it would change the world and my ego was setting these goals for what world change looked like that until I got that note didn't have me appreciating that change was significant if it was changing the world of just a single person, which can sound trite, I understand. But like for the rest of time, if that man who sent the note 
and his desire to change the way that he was showing up for his wife and daughters is a thing that he followed through on, it would for the rest of time change his life and the life of his wife and daughters and their circle of people's life. Like there is rippling effect in, in world change that could happen just from that single person having impact. And so I realized in that note that one, like he wasn't the only person that was having a breakthrough kind of experience with creation, but the two, I'd just been focused on the wrong metric when it came to impact. Like I just needed, I just really needed to focus on this reality that I'm going to create something like anyone who's listening is going to create something that is going to be super, super meaningful for the people it's meant to be super, super meaningful for. And that it also was likely to be totally rejected by people that it was not meant for. And that its rejection wasn't a sign of it being bad. It, its rejection was a sign of it not being meant for them, right? Like you, Doug, me, anyone who's listening, you're not free ice cream. You will not make people happy all the time. And we, I think as creators, whatever you're creating, you could affect a hundred people and 90 of them could be desperate to hear the thing or be fueled and fed by the thing that you create. And yet the 10 people would hate the thing that you create and make noise about their hating the thing that you've created. We focus our attention and energy on the 10 people that didn't even have it as an intended thing that they were meant to receive and sometimes stop creating because of the worry of those 10 people at the expense of the 90 who were sitting their hands out waiting to receive the thing that were actually there to create for them. And so I've just had to stay focused on the 90, stay focused on the notes from the people that are having impact and hope that it gets as much love as it can, but that there isn't a number. There isn't like a number of books or an amount of impact that are, that are, that, that's going to in any way change the importance of the way that it impacts the people that ultimately need to receive it. Right. Right. Yeah. You're, you're right. Cause there's a lot of times where people, they, they want to create something and they want to just, they have, we all, we all have this, this dream of changing the world and creating massive impact, which I think is awesome. Right. And I think it's possible for, for us, but I think along the same lines, it's just, sometimes you've got to start with one. Yeah, and you got to just start with just that one person. And, and I've noticed that in my own life where I'm like, oh, I want to change the world, like with fitness or addiction. But other times it's like, why don't I just focus on my one on one clients? Because I'm I'm having the ability to, to change their lives and then that will change their family and so on and so forth. And it's been really helpful for me when when setting these big goals. And I know one thing that's been helpful for you is, is your faith. And you've talked about it. And I know it seems like you've you've done a good job at maintaining your faith you know, during these unfortunate times for you. I mean, I know like you, I, I remember just watching you write about this in the book, but I can witness like watching you on Instagram, posting you outside on your patio at night, like listening to music, like getting connected to God and everything. But there's a lot of people when that, when hard times hit, they lose faith. So what's your advice for somebody who's, who's going through hard times and has really lost their, their faith in their creator, the universe, or whatever it is they believe in? Yeah. I, so two things. I, I know for me, having faith that the things that I would need in the journey would show up when I needed them had me on the hunt for those things and witness to those things presenting themselves. Right? I just started with this belief, maybe not on the first day. On the first day, I was pretty down. But as time went by, I just 
was connected to this belief, as ridiculous as it maybe felt on certain days when I was crying my stinking eyes out, that the things that I would need on the days that I would need them would present themselves, had me believing that that would be the case. I went out then looking for those things, and those were the things that I found. And I think if you go out believing that like the world is over, this is the end of times, nothing's going to go my way, that you will find evidence to reinforce that hypothesis as much as the hypothesis that things are going to show up when you need them. So you might as well just believe that it's going to work out for you and you can find evidence of that as well. And I just over and over and again, it was a new friend that moved in down the street. It was a new relationship that I stumbled into from a podcast that never got recorded. It was a pastor who sent me the same powerful 11 words for eight weeks in a row. What is the single piece of sadness that I can hold for you today? Like there were just thing after thing after thing that just kept showing up in part because I believe that I thought that they would and I, I found evidence of it. And the second thing is I, as a person who had faith for his entire life, I was a person who went to church, grew up in a, in a religious family. If your faith isn't tested, I'm not sure that you have faith. And I think it was easy for me to say that I was a believer, that I had faith until I found myself in a situation that I was screaming at God and God, good news, he's big enough to handle my frustration is big enough to handle yours. I was very upset. And in that very, very beginning of time, I, I, was, I was struggling in my faith, to be honest, because I was like, why would this happen? Why did, the, why did this have to happen? I don't understand. But in that moment, you have a choice. You can either like walk toward or move away. You can, you can you know, like kind of double down on God having, you know, something in this that's for you or, or reject that there's maybe nothing in there and, and move away. And I decided, you know, I'm just keep pushing toward. And there's a verse in the Bible, James 4, 8, when you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And I can say from my personal experience, I felt that very thing manifest in my backyard at the end of a long run on a rock in nature in the midst of my most difficult seasons where oftentimes I was forced to my knees. It was not a thing that I was choosing. I was forced to my knees. I was met on my knees by a God who was still there, who was willing to handle my tears and my anger, that was willing to process all of the things with me. And in having drawn closer to him, he drew closer to me 100% every single time. Wasn't even a question. And it was as much as I, and I'm going to say it again, like, it was not something that I expected at the beginning of the journey because I was angry at God. I was, I was upset with this, hey, I've done these things. I've checked these boxes. I've been faithful to you in these ways. And now this is happening. This doesn't make sense. But we can't appreciate the things that we need, right? I, I mean, I said it already, but the, the, the way that I thought that 2020 was going to unfold to produce my best year ever was something that I, in my hubris, believed I had a handle on what I needed to have my best year unfold. And the conditions through which I would become my best were not something that were uh, in my hands. I wouldn't have chosen to go through 2020. I wouldn't choose to go back through it again. And yet here I am, the healthiest and strongest and best health of my entire life, knowing now that I am in that shape and feeling that strong and set up for the future, not in spite of, but because of the things that I ended up going through. And that in a crazy way has also emboldened faith because now I have this appreciation that, oh, you thought you knew you didn't know. There was always a 
you know, a, a higher power that was orchestrating things that were necessary for you to become this version of who you've ultimately become. Mm. Amen to that. And I think as believers, what happens is when we hit these tough situations, we lose faith in that moment for God's plan for us. But we, and we forget that he's gotten us through every single time before that and brought us to where we are today. And I, and I think it's super normal, like you said, to get like pretty emotional after a moment that you went through to, you know, to, to act emotionally and, and start to question things because I mean, yeah, like who wouldn't when you go through a hard time like that. But I think it was, I think it's also important to not like make permanent decisions based on like near, like near term emotions, right. Where sometimes people will get super emotional. They'll end up lashing out or they'll end up doing something in the near term that could cost them more long-term. And, you know, a song that, that, that reminds me of is this song. It's called blessings by Laura story. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's, Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you've, yeah. And it talks about like, what if they're the blessings came from raindrops and it's so important for, for people to, to hear this because there's so many times that when you go through a storm, like the blessings are on the other side. Right. And you just have to sometimes sit in that storm long enough for the blessings to come. And I think a lot of times what happens is people, when it starts to rain, they want to go inside. When it starts to rain, they want to put the umbrella up. When it starts to rain, they want to run away. And they just don't. They, they, and I think what, what happens is they don't get the opportunity to see the, the fruit that could come from that storm if they chose to just kind of sit through the thick of it. So, so what's next for you? I guess as we kind of like wrap up towards the end of our conversation, like, so where's the Dave Hollis ship going? Like in the next couple of years, if you look back, like, what would you like to accomplish? Well, I. In a weird way, the there's a quote I use in the book, Tyler Durden, Fight Club. It's not until you lose, not until you lose everything that you're free to do anything. Uh, so much of what I thought I was going to do, having gone away, has created this unbelievable freedom in me getting to determine whatever next ends up looking like. But even at that, like there is there is something in that that is having me want to be really, really deliberate and specific in making sure I'm not rushing into something because of the way I might be feeling in real time, the way that it might feel anyway in real time. And so I am going to spend time working on a book, working on an upcoming conference for men. I have a kid's book that's coming out soon. Like I, I have these projects that I have a lot of passion for, but the idea of rebuilding a team like I previously had is something that may happen over time, but I also find myself like really okay, just enjoying the things that I am enjoying in real time and not having um, a ton of urgency, as much as that might sound strange, to have all of it figured out. Because I think uh, more than anything, I'm appreciating that things are going to reveal themselves in time as they're meant to be revealed. <laughs> and so I'm I'm excited about this possibility of what next looks like, even if I can't completely put my finger on what next is. And, and I'll kind of go from there as I go from there, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I love this idea that you really don't have a set time on when things are going to happen. Cause so many people, they, they put like these expectations on when certain things are going to happen, whether it's a job, whether it's a marriage, whether it's like finishing school and in reality, like things will happen when they're intended to. So, so your new book is called built through courage. It comes out at the end of October. Like where's the best place for people to check that out? Where's the best people place for people to connect with you if they want to learn more? 
So you can buy the book literally anywhere, wherever you normally buy books, buy books with small book house. Uh, great. Do it there. If you buy it on Amazon or Target, get it there. But when you buy it, the thing I would encourage you to do, roll over to MrDaveHollis.com forward slash book, drop your pre-order information in, and immediately I'm going to hook you up with $500 worth of bonuses for the $15 purchase that you've made. I've got a couple of fantastic courses, 13 weeks worth of coaching, and a rad community of like-minded people who are reaching for a better version of themselves that you get to jump into and uh, be immersed in immediately. So I'm super, super excited about it. We've got in real time, six weeks of 13 left for coaching. But if you jump into the community, you get access to all 13 that uh, will exist at any point in time. So I hope you'll, I hope you'll come on over. Awesome. I will make sure to link all that stuff in the show notes um, because I think a lot of people are going to resonate with your story, Dave, because so many people have been through a lot of hard times over the past couple of years and just what you've been able to to turn it into is very admirable. So I will make sure to include all that information in the, in the links in the show notes for people to check it out. And I highly encourage everybody to go out, connect with Dave, join his coaching program, buy his book. He's the real deal. And, I, and I've really like from, from a distance, just really, like I said, in, been inspired and admired how he's turned such a negative situation in his life into something really positive. And what I want you to do too, is it's to share a takeaway whether it was something that, that Dave said about his story and how he kind of transformed out of that dark place, or maybe it was something that he said about exercise or, you know, what he's doing now, whatever it was, tag Dave, tag myself. We'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.